Hey everybody, it's Michelle Schuler here with your Poolside PD. Um, this one might run a little longer than five minutes. I know I try to keep it to that length, but this one is a book review. Um, on my way to vacation, I had time to kill on the plane and I read uh, Teach Like Your Hair's On Fire by Rafe Esquieth. Um, this is a really great book and it's based on his practices in his uh, California classroom, uh, room 56. I really enjoyed this book a lot. I spent a lot of time marking my text because there was a lot of stuff here that uh, I thought was relevant um, given today's climate. He talks about the charlatans of education and I do believe that that is true. Um, one of the things that he talks about is um, classroom management. He talks about the principles that he has in his class and how he uses them. Um, most of them are really excellent. Um, as I'm sitting here looking through um, my notes, the one thing that I found, it says, if your class is not in order, nothing good will follow. And isn't that the truth? No learning happens. Um, like I talked about in a previous Poolside TV PD, classroom management matters. Um, he says there will be no learning. The kids will not read, write, or calculate better. Children will not improve their critical thinking. Character cannot be built. Good citizenship will not be fostered. He says over the last 25 years, I've tried practically everything to deal with the often maddening behavior of children in a school environment that accepts graffiti covered bathroom, bathroom walls and urine soaked floors as a norm. If you are working in a school that sounds like that, then you're probably going to want to read this book. He talks about the uh, culture of the class classroom and he's very uh, truthful and forthcoming. He says, when teaching or parenting, you must always try to see things from a child's point of view and never use fear as a shortcut for education. I've always said personally, that a little bit of the right kind of fear is a good thing. Kids will perform, but you don't want them to be terrified. There's a, there's a fine line, and for those of you that are parents, you understand it. If you're not yet a parent, um, think about how you are with your own parents. There, um, talk, he talks about trust, building trust in your relationships. Um, a broken trust is irreparable. Everything else can be fixed. And that also stands true for promises, teachers. Don't make promises that you cannot deliver. Um, you have to deliver. And uh, sometimes that's a really hard thing to do. He talks about, um, you know, those promises we make where we say, oh, on Friday we're going to do some special activity. Well, if they perform and do their part, then you have to be prepared to deliver what your promise is. Um, he talks about six levels. Um, one thing that was funny is he talks about uh, the students doing really well when there's a teacher in the room, but when the teacher's out and the substitute's there, and I quote, the classroom that had previously functioned so well turns into a scene from Animal House. Anybody that's listening and is too young to remember Animal House, it's a great movie, you should watch it, but that happened to me this past year. Um, the students perform very well when I was in the classroom, but they never 
did a good job when there was a sub in the room. Um, so he talks about these six levels. Level one, the kids that just don't want to get in trouble. Um, elementary school teachers probably have this a lot. Um, and if you're a parent, it's that wait till your father gets home kind of ideal. These are the kids that are going to be doing everything that they can just to not get in trouble. They're not actually thinking. They're functioning on a level that's pretty um, low level. There's level two kids who I want the reward. We need to show our children that proper behavior is expected, not rewarded. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, I read this part of his book and I was just like, yes. One of the things that I see happening all too often in classrooms is this reward. And while I am a fan of the positive behavior intervention strategies or PBIS, um, we have to know that behaving properly is expected and setting the tone in our classrooms for that is something we need to do. He talks about level three. I want to please somebody. We have the people pleasers. You know who they are. Uh, when I was growing up, my grandmother used to call them brown nosers. Um, he says here, young teachers are especially susceptible to the phenomenon. When kids want to please you, it gives you an ego jolt. Doesn't it just, um, it's nice to have kids show you that they think of you as respect to have to jump when you say jump. Um, we want kids to, to do that sometimes, but that's not the ultimate. We have the uh, level four kids. I follow the rules. This goes into a previous uh, poolside PD that I did. But here's what he says. He says, the fact that different classes have different standards can actually be good. It teaches students to adjust to new situations and new environments. Knowing the rules, accepting the rules, and is willing to carry them out. These are level four thinkers, and they are doing better than most. One could argue that these good ends justify the means, but if we want our children to receive meaningful education, do we really want them to just be doing something because that's what the rule says? So that's something to consider, something to consider. I thought about it a lot. Um, he talks about level five. I am considerate of other people. I know that in my district, we've spent time talking about empathy and he refers to an example from the novel To Kill a Mockingbird. He says, at one point in the novel, Atticus gives his daughter Scout a piece of advice that perfectly illustrates level five thinking. You never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb in his skin and walk around in it. Many of the students take the advice to heart, and before long, the idea began to snowball. Soon, almost all my kids were becoming extremely considerate of others. With Atticus Finch leading the way, I learned the old cliche is true. Kindness really is contagious. He also talks about this level six, and this is really where we want our kids to be. Level six behavior, and he says this, is the most difficult to attain and just as difficult to teach. 
This is because a personal code of behavior resides within the soul of an individual. I would really like to think that at some point in time, I'm getting kids to that level six. Yes, I want them to be kind. Yes, I want them to follow the rules. But I want them to have that intrinsic piece that is so important for their success. Um, he talks about the method, how he got there. And I'm reading through this book and I'm underlining and I'm taking notes and I'm making notes about um, what he's saying. The best way to combat the indifference that surrounds children is to take them places where intelligence, enthusiasm, and a joy of reading are a standard operating procedure. Go to the library. I don't know about your library, but my library turns out to be not necessarily the place that we want kids to go. They go there to get away from instruction. So using your school library is important, but I think that we might find a way to grow readers by actually getting them into a actual library. Um, he also talks about struggling readers. Um, and then I love the part he says here on page 40, where is it written that math or science teachers should not be reading role models for their students? Amen, amen. I incorporate literature into my science classes all the time and the kids are able to make those connections that I want so desperately for them to make and it also taps into empathy and the character building pieces because they can see themselves or see others through the characters in the books. He does talk about writing and goes through um, several versions of a project that was going on in his school for uh, teaching writing and how it ultimately was doomed. Um, he suggests uh, using grammar as a way to start classes. I thought that might be interesting. One of the things he does with his kids is he uses movies. Um, he has a film club. I think that that's a phenomenal idea. He uses um, classic movies, not necessarily the things that uh, the kids would pay money to go to the theater. Um, and the reason that he does this is he says, and I wrote big notes, <laughs> big notes. Standardized testing has become a nightmare in our schools. Teachers have become so overwhelmed by testing demands that they no longer have time to teach their students the subjects they are supposed to master. Students have become so burnt out taking the test they no longer care how well they score on them. Among the situations, many sad ironies, perhaps none is more profound than this. Despite the fact that standardized testing was con conceived to help our children succeed, its practice has only contributed to their failure. Any teacher in any district would most likely talk about the fact that testing is destroying instruction. It doesn't give accurate data. Accurate data, when we get it as teachers, is a gift because it really does help us with improving our instruction. But standardized testing data, if the kids don't care about the test, the data is probably inaccurate. I'm actually working on a paper right now where I sat down and observed kids during park testing 
um, just writing down my observations because I couldn't do anything else. Um, anybody who knows anything about that, um, these tests are driven by money, 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 money. Um, publishing companies profit, but students' failure in the testing portion just continues to drive more testing. Um, our policy in this country is that kids have to pass these tests, and it's all wrapped up in politics and money, and in no way does it reflect good teaching and good pedagogy. Um, it's difficult to teach kids to study for standardized tests. We don't know what's on them as teachers. We can maybe give them some ideas about how to study effectively, but teaching study habits is really difficult. Um, in his book, he says, um, I teach my students that how they study is far more important than how much they study. They learn that in order to study effectively, they need to create conditions of the test. I try to mirror um, testing conditions in my classroom as much as possible, and I also insist on my students writing down an honor code. It's a very simple honor code. I am a scholar. I promise this is my work. I didn't give or receive help on this test. Super important that they start to understand that it matters and that cheating is not okay. A test, he says, a test is like a thermometer. It's a measuring device, pure and simple. Instead of measuring temperature, it measures the understanding of a skill. So when they do their best and they don't succeed, it gives us a couple of indicators. What they're not good at, um, and what they need to work on, but their future shouldn't be determined necessarily by just one test. And that's what's happening with standardized testing. So in the words of my favorite teacher from last semester, Dr. Joe, he always says, what's your impact? What is your impact? And I, there are several things that I got from that man and I just hang on them because they speak to me and this is one of the ones that does. And it came up to in this book and uh, Rafe wrote, many good teachers help their students learn the importance of being, becoming test wise. This is especially crucial, crucial when taking multiple choice tests. The SAT is probably the best example few would dispute that success depends just as much on test-taking skills as it does on intelligence. I use a couple of strategies to help my students perform better on multiple choice exams. So what's your impact? Always measuring progress against past performance, that's growth and that's impact. That is the data that you want to find. That's how much have they learned. So important. Um, Rafe, though it's not called it in this book, um, he uses a STEM pedagogy, which uh, speaks to me. Um, he's almost John Dewey-esque, but in a slightly different way. Um, this book was first published in 2007, so it's 
already um, already um, older. So STEM pedagogy was not the rage at the time. But what he does in his classroom um, is very much that um, exploration. Um, and as a science teacher, this part of the book really spoke to me. He said, Rafe writes here, it shook me up. This was not a bureaucrat who didn't have a clue about teaching. This was a top scientist bluntly telling me that I was doing a poor job. She was right on all counts. No student in that class grew up to be any sort of scientist. Despite my bruised ego, I sat down and listened. She told me that to learn science, kids had to put down their books and pick up the equipment. They had to observe, experiment, record, and analyze. Above all, they had to fail and learn from their failures. And boom, there it is. This hands-on approach is essential to teaching all content. All content, not just science. Um, he incorporates literature, music, movement, um, exploration um, in his classroom. His book really, um, if you will, validates the things that I am trying to do. Um, on page 103, um, he goes and says um, to a guest whispering, let me read this, guest whispering, you don't understand, Rafe, they're doing it wrong. And he said, I understand. And the guest said, their wings are crooked. And he said, yep, they sure are. And the guest said, the launch lug is glued too closely to the nose. Rafe said, that's true. And you're just going to sit there? Yes, I am. But their rocket won't fly. Not at first. But, and then the group will have to figure out why their rocket won't fly. They'll have to come back to class and figure it out from themselves. It's what scientists do all the time. So that is it. That is it. That's the part that spoke to me, the STEM approach. And he applies that so many, so many places. Um, I could go on and on about this book, but I'm running into 20 minutes, so I'm going to stop. I hope that you enjoyed this PD review. Please, please, please pick it up if you get a chance. I bought it secondhand um, at a bookstore. He talks about arts integration in the classroom, arts and sciences, getting it together. Um, but here you go. Final thoughts. Uh, be nice to the nerds. Chances are you'll be working for one one day. Um, I love this read. It was an easy read. Um, and my notes go on for another hour. I won't. Uh, have a great night, day. Enjoy your time at the pool. Take care.